we love you, we love you, we love you. Lord Jesus, we love you, we praise you. We thank you, Lord, that you would care for such a people, that you would find value in such a people, that you would be so compassionate and so faithful, so loving towards such a people. We thank you, Lord, that you're a faithful God and a compassionate God, that you're a mighty God, that you're never too busy to hear our cry. You're never taken up by this or that, that when we begin to weep and call on you and just bow our hearts, you hear us, you answer us, you minister to us. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for the throne that's called grace. We thank you that our burdens and our battles never escape your notice. We thank you, Lord. You're close to the contrite. You're close to the broken. And when we feel our weakest, that's when you're the closest. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We don't have to know all the answers. We just have to know you. We don't have to know all the this or that. We just got to know how to call upon the name of the Lord. For you said, they that call upon your name shall be saved. They shall be delivered. Thank you, Lord. You carry the burden. We thank you, Lord. You lift us up when we can't lift ourselves up. We thank you, Lord. You go where we can't go. And we never stop praising you, seeking you, crying out to you. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Glory to God. I just want to encourage you. Probably just going to be another two or three months that we pray on Wednesdays, but come on out. I had a buddy of mine just the other day called and chatting. His church our size, maybe a little bigger. He says, so Joe, how many did you have to bury over this thing? And I thought he meant, how many did I know? I said, well, no, we were not. We were, you know, we were two, three people got it, minor, just he goes, I just did my third funeral this week. I said, from your church? He goes, yeah, from our church. I mean, they, they basically couldn't even see the person. They tell me, you know. And I began to thank God, you've been good to us. You've been good to us. He said, you don't got to be super smart. You just got to know how to humble your heart and call on God. We're a poor people. That's all right. I don't mind that. We're a weak people. That's fine. As long as I know who's strong. Amen. We don't got to have all the answers. We don't got to have the latest fad. We just got to know how to humble your heart, cry out to God. It's not complicated. There's no great formula to it. Humble our hearts and call on the name of the Lord. To be able to confess, Lord, we need help. Lord, we don't know what to do. How did Jehoshaphat say it? We know not what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Amen. Lord, we feel helpless. If we didn't know you, we would be hopeless. But, Lord, all we know to do is cry out, Lord, help, Lord, help, Lord, help. Lord, you're able. Lord, you're faithful. I know they're saying X, Y, Z, but, Lord, you're greater than all of that. I don't understand. But I know, God, you're great. You're faithful. You're, you're God. You. It's... Hallelujah. So we continue to pray and cry out to God. Amen? That's all. We don't, we don't, we don't pretend to have the answer. We're just trying to point people to the one that does. Isn't that right? And when trouble comes, and I don't, sometimes I can't even understand what they're saying the problem is. Hey Amen. I don't have an answer. Are you kidding? I can't even understand what they're talking about the problem is. So over my head. But I know someone, he's he not limited by anything. And if I just get a hold of Jesus, you see what I mean? 
and humble my heart and cry out to Him. That's the key. And you know, you don't have to be special to do that. Hallelujah. Keep crying out to God. Keep crying out to God. Amen. Amen. And every child he touched, there'll never be a nightmare because of it. There'll never be a, a reciprocal thing because of it. Hallelujah. Glory to God. God's so good. I'm so glad you're here for Wednesday night Bible study. It is so good to study the Word of God. Amen? So if you would, we're in Acts 20. Let's go to Acts 20. And this is Paul. And he thinks this is his farewell address to the Ephesian elders. He thinks this is the last time he'll see them. And so we're talking about the measure of a minister. And um, we've been looking at Roman numeral 1. And has three sub-points. Now, Roman numeral one is Paul's reviewing his past ministry with this group of people. And he starts out by, we notice he explains his motive. He says, I serve the Lord. The motive for Paul and the motive that we should have is to glorify and please the Lord. He wasn't in it for the money. He wasn't in it for the notoriety. He wasn't in it for all the, the benefit. He wasn't in it for all those things. He said, I want to serve the Lord. I want to please God. I want to bring glory to God. Amen. And that should be what drives all of us in the things. I want to serve the Lord. I want to please God. And if I really want to please God, if my motive is to please God, then my manner towards you will be special and different and sincere and striving with excellence. If I really want to please Him, it affects how I treat you. And then we looked at it as Paul said, with great humility and tears, through all the persecutions of the Judaizers, all the pressures of the enemy, you know what? His Motive was to please God. That affected his manner in which he ministered to men. And if you really want to please God, you're going to serve wherever you're serving with excellence, with sincerity, with discipline, with diligence. You're not going to be a quitter. Paul says, man, hell tried to stop me, but I kept going. Because when you want to please the Lord, you get back up and you get going. Amen? And you get back up because that's the... the, the um, Motive, the manner. And last week we began, we want to finish up this last sub-point, the message of Paul's ministry. So we're in Acts 20. Let's look at verses 20 and 21. Acts 20, verses 20 and 21. Paul says, You know I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have testified or I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. We touched, number one, that last week Paul preached the whole gospel plainly and simply. He simply said here in verse 20, you know I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful. It might have been uncomfortable, It might have been unpopular, but if it was helpful, I love you too much to lie to you. I care for your eternity too much not to tell you what God says. Amen? All right? And then we looked at verse 27. We connected it where Paul says, I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole counsel of God. The whole counsel of God. So number one, we said last week, he kept nothing back that would be helpful. And Paul's message that he preached, it was a balanced message. 
There was doctrine, there was duty, there was privilege, there was responsibility. There was not compromising on one hand, no extremes on the other hand. It was plain and understandable. And we looked at the whole gospel, the whole gospel, because God gave us a book and God wants us to live all the book. Amen? So we're going to preach the whole gospel. Secondly, Paul taught publicly and privately. But you see what he says there? He says, uh, but I taught you publicly and from house to house. And we see that Paul took every opportunity he could to teach, to feed, and to make disciples. And if we're going to go, if you're going to mature in Christ, one of the things you have to do, mature people reproduce. You're going to touch someone else for Christ. You're going to make disciples. You're going to affect the next generation. We studied a lot. We looked up verses for all these. But Paul simply, he spoke to the groups. He spoke to the individuals. He ministered in the synagogue. He ministered in the lecture halls. He ministered down by the river. He ministered one-on-one. He made disciples. And God, he taught publicly as well as privately, both encouraging and instructing, passing it on so others could pass it on. And we studied that. We looked at what God had given the instructions in Deuteronomy about natural parents. And we said in the same way God instructed them to pass on the truth of God, the goodness of God, the testimony of God. We do that spiritually with our spiritual sons and daughters. Number three, Paul's message was a message that was a powerful message, a powerful message. He says here that I have declared or I have testified. And that word um, testified or, or declared, it means as a man under a solemn oath. As a man under a solemn oath with a divine commission. He goes, I declare to you the word of God. Paul preached the word. Um, with authority and with sincerity and with urgency and with earnestness. There was a thoroughness. He wasn't shy, nor was he unsure about what he was saying. you got to believe what you believe. Amen? And when you share it, share it with confidence. Amen? Uh, What did we say last time? We said, for Paul, the Gospel was more than just a message that he preached. It was a miracle that he had experienced. It's hard to sell someone on something you're not sold on yourself. Can you say Amen? I mean, it's hard, it's hard really to preach something that you don't believe yourself. But when you experience the life-changing power of Jesus Christ, man, you can tell people. When you are a person that have experienced answers in prayer, you can tell people about that. When you know what He brought you out of and where He's brought you to, you can declare something with a sincerity. Not just parroting what you read somewhere. Not just parroting what someone else said. But when it comes from the heart, because it's no longer I that liveth, but Christ liveth in me. This thing is real. This thing is genuine. Blessed be His name. Now this week we we begin with this fourth thought. Paul's message, the message of Paul's ministry was without partiality or favoritism. Without partiality or favoritism. I want you to notice in verse 21, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks. To both Jews and Greeks. Um, That means everybody. To the, the, the educated, uneducated. To the, to the religious and to the pagan. He, he preached it. Well, the gospel is a universal gospel. And the Savior whom Paul served and proclaimed is a universal Savior. The heathen need to hear the gospel. The religious that are lost need to hear the gospel. The highly educated need to hear the gospel. The down and out need to hear the gospel. Those from the east from the, need to hear the gospel. And we're going to look at this. Let's break this down. Let's break down this thought. Without partiality or favoritism. The gospel goes to everybody, and it's the same gospel for everybody. The gospel goes to everybody, and it's the same gospel for everybody, to all the world, to every nation, 
to every people. He declared it to all men. Listen, it's not just a white man's gospel. It's not just a Western world or a European religion. All men are lost. And all men are welcomed and urged to come to Christ. Let's look at some thoughts here. Number one, underneath this, our subpoints are going to be, number one, all men need the gospel. There's no exceptions. All men need the gospel. But secondly, God wants all men to hear the gospel. Because he's not willing that any perish. Let that light shine. And then thirdly, we'll look at we must preach the pure, proper, unadulterated gospel. It's not enough just to go. We've got to have the proper message to tell them. Because a false, deluded message won't do. So let's start out, if you would, Romans 3 and verse 9. Let's look at Romans 3 and verse 9. Paul's gospel, Paul's message was without partiality or favoritism. There's number one, all men need the gospel. There's no exceptions. We see in Romans 3, and if you notice in verse 9, Paul writes, well, what should we conclude then? Are we any better? He's talking about the Jew and Gentile. He says, no, not at all, not at all. We have already made the charge, here it is, that Jews and Gentiles, as everybody, alike are, are all under sin. Who's under sin? Everybody's under sin. Jew under sin? Yep. Gentile under sin? You better believe it. We're all under sin. Everyone's guilty. Let me read you my footnote here. Very interesting. That word all. Nine times in these four verses, verses 9 through 12, Paul mentions the universality of sin. All is mentioned two times, no one four times, not even one, two times, and together once. All are under sin. Everyone is under the power and condemnation of sin. All, all, all are sinners. All need a Savior. That's why there can't be partiality. And it has to go, the message has to go to everyone. It's not just, well, we believe this, and that's okay, leave them in their written. No, no, there's only one. There's only one. Jump, if you would, to verse 19. You see Romans Romans 3, Paul is basically declaring that both Jew and Gentile, that's everyone, that's all humanity, are guilty before God. It's as if heaven's gavel strikes and the divine judge says guilty. Everyone's guilty. He's putting everyone in a place where everybody needs a Savior. There's no one that doesn't need a Savior and there's only one. His name is Jesus. Now look what he says in verse 19 here. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to read the new, I mean, I'm read the NIV, then I'll read the new King James so we get both of it. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. The whole world. And we said it here. I like the way the New King James says it. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Everyone's guilty before God. Everybody needs a Savior. Everyone needs a Savior. And go just a little farther. And here's the verse that everybody should know. Look at verse 23. Look at verse 23. We preach the gospel, the whole gospel, without favoritism. We preach it to everybody without partiality. We don't dilute it or adjust it for anybody. Why? Because number one, all men need the gospel. All men need to hear the good news that God sent His Son to die on a cross Shed his blood that's lost sinners, and that's everybody, can come to salvation and forgiveness. So here we go, Romans 3 and 23, we should all know it. For all, here's that all again, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory. We're all guilty before God. So whoever, someone says, well, I didn't do this and I didn't do it. Everyone 
is guilty before God. Well, I'm not as bad as, don't make any difference. Everyone is guilty before God. You think he would send his only begotten son to die on a cross and go through that tragedy? If somehow we could earn our way in or somehow make ourselves worthy? Of course not. We're all, we're all, we're all. All right. So now, secondly, God wants all to hear the gospel. And that's our part. That's our part. All right. Now, Paul says, I preach without partiality. I preach without favorites. I preach to Jew and Gentile alike. This is all need to hear it. But you know what? It's our job to tell it. And secondly, God wants all to hear this gospel. He's not willing that any perish. And he has a people of every tribe and every language, every tongue, every nation. But they must hear and we must tell. Now, most of us should know this. We, we probably don't have to go, but we'll go anyhow to these scriptures. Mark 16 and 15. I want you to see the theme. Here's what we call, these are like the great commissions. Jesus is giving his final command, his commission, his marching orders to his disciples. And these are the things that he says. He says, go unto all the world, all the world, and preach the good news to all creation. How much of creation? All creation. See why missions are so important? You see why it's so important that we get the gospel out? You see why it's so important that we do what we need to do to get it out through human vessels, through TV, radio, everything we can think of? Because Jesus has given us a command. And he says, I don't want anyone to perish. But they will perish if they don't hear the gospel. This is only one way for them not to perish. Remember, everybody's already guilty. The guilt is done. They're guilty. So that's over. That's final. Everyone's sinned. We've all sinned. Amen? So we've got to get the message out that gets them out of their sin. And that's why he charged, go. He didn't say dance. He didn't say sing, though all that's important. He said go and preach the gospel to everyone, to everyone. White, black, yellow, they are precious in his sight. All right, we all learned the song. All right, look at that next one. Go to Matthew now. Go to Matthew. And again, here's Matthew 20. Don't you see this, this repetition here? Jesus said to the disciples, again, he's getting ready to go back to heaven. He says, all power, all authority in heaven and earth is given unto me. Jesus says, I have it all. Glory be to God. And then he says these next words, therefore you go and make disciples, make followers of me of all, of all nations, communist nations, dictatorship nations, Muslim nations. Don't make any difference. All nations. You baptize them. And then he goes on and says, you teach them and you disciple them, show them. Look, if you would, Acts 1 and 8. Acts 1 and 8. This is, this is the word of the Lord. This is the most important thing to Jesus. Amen? You know, friends, when it comes to the salvation of souls, remember, when we get to heaven, <laughs> are we going to get some teaching in heaven or what? Isn't that right? Can you imagine sitting there and letting Jesus unveil the mysteries of everything to us? Can you imagine that? I mean, when we get to heaven, there's going to be some teaching. Isn't that right? I mean, I've sat under some good teachers on earth, but I mean, when you get to heaven, and talk about music. I mean, I thought, I didn't think we could sing tonight. I'm crying. Amen. Worshiping through tears. It was precious tonight. This is beautiful. But can you imagine? We get to heaven, talk about praise and worship and glory. Isn't that wonderful? No one's tone deaf. No one's, I mean, it's going to be something. Isn't that great? You never have a sound problem in heaven. Isn't that wonderful? Oh, man, it's going to be awesome. I mean, you can get happy in the Lord. No one's going to tell you in the flesh when we're in heaven, right? We're all going to be in the Spirit. But you know, in heaven, we can't win souls. There's teaching, there's praise, there's worship. Can't do any evangelism. It's over. So we got this moment. Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. 
so you can run. Well, thank God we can run, but that's not the reason. So that you can yell louder than the Methodists. No, thank God we got to shout. I got something to shout about. I don't know you, but that's not the reason. That's not the reason for the power. You getting me? You receive power, the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses. You know what a witness does? He tells what he's seen. That's why you got to have this stuff. You got to know it personally. It's hard to witness when you weren't there to see it. It's hard to witness about Jesus if you don't know Jesus. I want you to be a witness. Where, Jesus? Well, in, in Jerusalem. You start at home. In Judea. How about your community? Samaria, your, your nation. To the ends of the earth. Jesus says, there is no nation or border that I do not desire my gospel to go through that all might hear. And the reason I gave you the power of my spirit is not just so that you can have experiences. Thank God for Holy Ghost experiences. But it's to enable you to carry out the task of seeing souls come to Christ. Paul's gospel was without partiality or favoritism. And we must preach the pure and proper gospel. Remember, there's only one gospel. There's not 20 gospels. There's not 20 ways. There's not 20 philosophies. And without um, um, partiality, undiluted, unchanged, I thought about this, false vaccines of men's philosophies disguised as heaven's remedy won't work. Every now and again you see them on the TV show. I like, the, I like them detective shows. And someone will maybe they'll, they'll, they'll put a, what do they call that? Yeah, sometimes they get them purses. They're not real purses. They're knockoffs. Remember? Hey, I don't, no one had, no, you don't know anything about that. But, um, um, you know, they go back to the city and they come back with Gucci. And it's not spelled Gucci. You know, it's spelled Gachi or something. I don't know. It's, um, you know, it's, it's not there. Uh, sometimes you know, we see those shows. Someone got vaccine, but it's not the real stuff. You know, they're just selling it, but it's not. It's phony. You know, there's a lot of phony spiritual vaccines out there. They might be labeled a certain way. They might be promoted a certain way, but they can't do the job. Only Jesus saves. Only the gospel of Christ. Uh, a, a deluded message that leaves out the essentials of the cross, of faith, of Christ alone, will not work. Will not work. So it's important that without partiality, without favoritism, we don't water it down. We don't do it. We don't um, tailor make it to our audience. Here's the warning, 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 4. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 4. And Paul, the Bible gives us a warning. And Paul says, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead in view of this, because it's so serious. It's a serious thing to preach the gospel. It's a serious thing to declare the word of the Lord. I, I give you this charge. And you as a parent, I give you this charge. Here's your charge. And say, do the end, not water slides, and not, not, not all this. Preach the word. Proclaim the word. In season and out. You preach it. You preach the proper message to the proper audience in the proper setting. If it's time to correct, you correct. If it's time to rebuke, if it's time to encourage, you encourage. With great patience, careful instruction. You be ready to preach the gospel, the pure gospel at all times. Why? Why is this so important? Well, number one, because we all stand before God. He just said that, right? God's Jesus is coming back in view of his appearing. And we're going to have to answer for the life we've lived and for if we've obeyed him. But here's another reason. Here's another reason. Next verse. Here's another reason. Here's the warning. Because the time will come. Guess what? It's here. When men will not put up with sound doctrine. Won't put up with it. Won't put up with it. 
You know, when you don't put up with something, you don't put up with it, right? Don't put up, don't like it. Don't, don't tell me this one's not going to heaven. Well, the Bible says, don't tell me, don't put up with it. I don't want to hear that. Will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, instead, to suit their own desires. Appease my religious conscience. Make me feel like I'm righteous while I just do my own thing. Instead, to suit their own desires. You can't write your own gospel. I know back in the day, Schuler and them, they tried to build it on that. We're going to take a poll and see what the world wants to hear in church, but God gave us a book. He didn't say make it. He said, preach my word. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what? To say the word? To say the pure, accurate? No, but to say what their itching ears want to hear. There's a warning in the importance of preaching a pure gospel. Because we live in an age where there's not a great appetite for the pure gospel. Instead, it's for a convenient gospel. It's for a gospel that says all the right things, but really doesn't. Paul said, from such turn away. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power to really change a life and transform a life and to make a life a dedicated follower of Christ. Look at number 4, verse 4, verse 4. They will turn their ears away from the truth. That preacher rubs me the wrong way. Is he preaching the Bible? Be a Berean. Is he pre- if he's not preaching the Bible, don't listen to him. There's not a lot of junk out there. But is he preaching the Word? Then ask yourself why you, you like it. Do you have a, a, a problem with God's Word? They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Tell me the myth. Tell me I can live any way I want and I'm still going to heaven and I'm still, uh, t- tell me that. Just tell me that. Tell me if I can't, I'll keep my own little law of righteousness. See, I, and then I'll justify myself. But I said, no, don't work that way. Warning us, warning us. Galatians 1, 6 through 9. Galatians 1, 6 through 9. Again, because all men need the gospel, and God desires that all men hear the gospel because God's not willing that any perish. Therefore, it's upon our shoulders to preach the gospel. Not just a multiple choice gospel, but the gospel that God has given us. You know, it would be a very terrible thing. Very terrible thing. You know, Brother Sam, he's, he oversees a lot, a lot of nations for our denomination in missions. So he's in certain areas. I, it would be a terrible thing for me to quote, Brother, take your name in vain. Call up one of these missionaries. You know what? I was just talking to Brother Sam, and he said, and I misrepresent you. Wouldn't that be a terrible thing? Be a people want to do that with God's book. You think how terrible that would be if I went and said, well, angel said, and you didn't say nothing to the story. What a terrible thing to abuse your name, to lie about what... But people do that with God's book all the time. We think about that in the human level, and it grieves us. We say, oh, that's terrible. But yet we do it so often with God's word, and we think it's okay. Paul writes, I, I am Paul, you know, the church of Galatia, some of them are starting to sway out. They're starting to lose track with the Lord. And, and Paul saw some garbage was getting in there. He says, I'm astonished that, that 
you're quickly, you're deserting the one, the one, the one. That's all about Jesus. Walk close with the Lord. The one who called you by the grace of Christ. And you're turning to a different gospel. See, there's only one gospel, but there's a lot of false gospels. Different gospel. Notice that, different gospel. They wouldn't have called it a different gospel, the ones that are propagating it. Which is really no gospel at all. Any gospel that doesn't bring you to the cross of Christ and putting your faith in Christ and Christ alone for your salvation is no gospel. Any gospel that tells you you can supposedly get saved then live like hell and still go to heaven, that's no gospel. So there's a lot of so-called gospels that are not in line with the gospel and that's why it's so important that we preach the pure, unadulterated gospel. Because that's the only way men will truly get saved and God wants them saved. He died that they could be saved. But what a sinful thing for us to go and then misrepresent the message or misquote the word, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion. You watch enough of that Christian TV, you'll get in confusion. I suggest you find one or two people that are preaching a pure word, listen to them, get blessed by them, but get away from all the nincompoops that are on there and a lot of the nonsense. It'll do you good and it'll save you a few dollars down the road. Amen? You don't need to store up on meals for the next 50 years. Good Lord. Fred's will be open then just like it is now. Pull yourself a plate and eat at your heart's desire. All right? Everybody said amen. He said, evidently some people are throwing you into confusion. Paul's looking at the sheep and they're being confused. Why? Because someone's preaching another gospel. They're saying in Jesus' name, they're saying the Scripture says, but they're twisting it and they're perverting it. They're throwing it into conversion and they're trying to what? Pervert, pervert, twist, distort the gospel of Christ. So that, that was happening then. You don't think it's happening now? But now what Paul says is this. But listen, listen, Paul says, even if we, Paul says, even if I start missing it, if I get up and preach something that's not in line with the book, you go ahead and get the tape, double check. It's still not. You go find an elder and say, he said this and that. Hear this on the tape? Come, you can talk to me. You don't get me? You go to, you go to, the, you go to my elders. You go above that. Paul says, but even if we or an angel, I don't care if that guy on TV pulled a rabbit out of his hat. If he's not preaching a pure gospel, that devil can do tricks too. Isn't that right? Yeah, I love, we love, we love seeing people healed. We, we weeping today because God's healing lives and touching lives. We're thankful for that. We expect that. But that is not the ultimate justification of right and wrong. A miracle is that the devil can do certain things. You see what I mean? So Paul says, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other, any other gospel, another than the one we preached originally, the one that's clearly in the Scripture, let it be eternally condemned. That's pretty strong, amen? But Paul said, man, this is strong. What does verse 9 tell us? He repeats himself here. As I have already said, so now I say it again. If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted. Paul says, let him be eternally condemned. Wow. That's why, it's so, that's why we do Bible study. Amen? I love shouting. I love singing. 
And I love preaching. I like exhorting. Amen. I like exhorting. I'd, I'd rather exhort than anything else. I'd like to preach David and Goliath every week, every day. And you know what I mean? And have Jesus go, walking on the water the next day. Amen. I, I just preach encourage. I love that. I, it stirs me up. Isn't it right? I love it because I know people need to be encouraged. But if that's all we do, then we don't get, we don't get the depth that we need. Isn't that right? And then in this world, this crazy world we live in, it's so easy. So Paul, Paul says, listen, know your Bible. Study your Bible. And you measure everything to your Bible. Isn't that right? But but as Paul's saying, hey, there's people out there that are preaching. They're calling it the gospel, but it's not really the gospel. And it'll bring you to confusion. You start listening to some of that stuff. 2 Corinthians 2 and 17. I like this. Paul Paul says, unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. The fact that he said that tells us back then as well as today, there are some that are in this thing for impure motives. They're peddling it for money, for prestige. If they were doing it then, they're doing it now, right? And so just by Paul saying that, he's telling us, unlike so many, Paul goes, now we don't peddle. I'm not a peddler, right? Got my goods, I'm going to knock on the door and try to sell you something you don't need and you probably can get it better down the road anyhow. But we don't peddle the Word of God for profit. We're not in this thing for profit. On the contrary, we're sincere. We're serious. We know we're going to stand before God one day. We know you're going to stand before God someday. We know there's a real devil out there that wants to destroy lives and so we want to help the people of God. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God. God hears everything we say. God sees the way we live. In Christ, we speak before God with sincerity like men sent from God. God sent us to preach His Word. That's why we preach it without partiality. That's why we preach it with an urgency. That's why we preach it wholeheartedly. This is not something we made up. The Almighty has called us and the Almighty has given us the message, sent us to preach that word. The proper gospel. Now, this great gospel, this proper gospel, has to be preached as it's supposed to be, because in it contains the power to save any life, to transform cultures and generations. It's all in the gospel of Christ. That's what Paul said. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power within the message of the gospel contains the sovereign power of the Almighty God to transform the life of the one that will believe it. We said a couple weeks ago, especially for the men, how we got down that road, that you know, within your decision, within your firm quality decision to be wholly devoted to Christ, within the power of your will to choose to serve Christ sincerely and wholeheartedly, you have the power, as you stand here today, sit here today, you have the power to affect your generations literally 120 years from now. Just simply by making a decision, I'm going to serve God. That's for me and my house. I go back four generations, Pentecost. Those old Ukrainians in the 1910s and 20s they come out of dead religion, come out of that bondage, and got saved, got ostracized, got shunned, had no idea. All these years later, great-great-grandkids preaching the gospel had no idea, had no idea that their decision, which cost them their decision that they make over a hundred years later, is bearing fruit because they made up their mind, I'm going to serve God with all that I got. You don't realize the power you have 
in your commitment to Christ. Power in this gospel. Power in this gospel. Let's look at this together. Um, Galatians 3 and 22. Galatians 3 and 22. Power in this gospel. The scripture declares the whole world is prisoner of sin. We covered that. So that what was promised, being given through faith in Christ, faith in Christ, might be given to those who believe. Those who believe are freed from that prison of sin. Those that believe and put their faith in Christ can get set free from the shackles of sin and death and bondage. Now, keep going a little further. Look at verse 26, 27, and 20. I love this. There's power in this gospel. Amen? There's power. This Bible says you're all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? When you come to Christ, you become a son of God. You say, but I, my, my background was. It doesn't matter what your background was. If you put your faith in Christ, you are a son of God. But you don't know what I grew up in. You don't know how. If you put your faith in Christ, you are. Whew. You're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. The past is gone. Faith in Christ. Faith in Christ. Not in religion. Not in the church. In the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at that next verse. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. I love it. I love it. I love it. Therefore, there's neither Jew nor Greek. You see, we're all one in Christ. Slave, free, male, female. You are all one in Christ. This gospel is awesome, is it not? And very quickly, very quickly, Romans 1 and 16. Romans 1 and 16. Paul, again, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. You know why he's not ashamed of it? Because in the gospel, in the message, gee, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, you're a whosoever. You could be listening to me and you could be living on the streets. You're a whosoever. You could be a drug addict. You could be a prostitute. You could be a murderer. You're a whosoever. For God so loved the world, the lost world, the dying world, the rebellious world, God so that He gave His one and only Son that whosoever believes in Him, faith in Christ, shall not perish. Sin doesn't have to win. Shall not perish. But you can have eternal life. You can become a son of God. You can become a daughter of God. And that's what Paul says there. I'm not ashamed of the Gospel. Not because I'm some kind of bold you know, John Wayne. No, no, Paul says, it has nothing to do with me, but it's in the message that I'm proclaiming. My confidence is in the message of the gospel that God loves you. And if you'll come to Jesus and ask Him to forgive you and give Him your life, He'll cleanse you. He'll take out that stony heart and put in a heart of flesh. He'll make you into a new creature. He'll make you into a new man or woman. He'll break the power that sin has on your mind and on your appetites. He'll set you free. Make you brand new. He says, because it is the power of God Not, not just the dormant power of God. You can put a battery. A battery's got power, but it's stored power. Flip the switch and let that power work. The power of the gospel is a working power. It's a transforming power. It's a healing power. It's an igniting power. Come on, say amen. For everyone. For everyone. Somebody say everyone. Even people that are black. People that are communists? Even the communists? He died with communists? Everyone. Everyone who what? Oh, you got to believe. That means receiving Christ. That means coming to Christ. Putting your faith in Christ. For the Jew and the Gentile. See, without partiality, without favoritism. All right, quickly. We're going to go very quickly now. 
Let's look at that next thought right there. Paul, without partiality or favoritism, and he taught repentance and faith. We can't cover all this. We cannot cover this, but let me just give you the, the brief. Here it is. He says, I declare to Jew and Greeks, they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Those are the two necessary components for a sound gospel presentation. You've got to repent and you've got to believe. Repent means to turn. You've got to leave that life of sin, leave that life of error, and come to God. And when you come to God, put your faith in Christ. That means give your life to Christ, give your devotion to Christ. Paul taught repentance and faith. You, if you exclude those from the gospel message, it, it's not a go- full, pure, proper gospel message. And we can't cover all this, but let me just give you the, the thoughts of repentance. Repentance means turning from sin. You don't just come and say a sinner's prayer then go back and live the way you used to live. That's not repentance. Amen? And faith in Jesus means believing in Him alone for your salvation. Putting one's faith in Christ, what He did on that cross. Repentance is to change one's mind and purpose, ultimately your direction. See, this word repentance describes a change in the mind that results in a change of behavior. Anyone ever hear a backslid? Sure, we all did. You come back to God, I make that decision in the mind. I've got to stop living like this. This is wrong. I'm tired of going down this road. I want to get back up and do what I need to do. I know that God wants me to live better than this. But then, from the change of thinking, change of behavior. Then you stop doing certain things. Stop going certain places. Started coming back to God's house. There was a turning. Started in the mind. I realized I'm, I'm, I'm in sin. I'm not living right. There's not enough just to know it here. There's got to be a turning with the life. Let me just go through this and then we'll wind it down. A conscious act of a sinner turning from their sins to God, it's a choice to change. Now, do not confuse. Do not confuse remorse with repentance. Judas had remorse. He didn't have repentance. King Saul had some remorse and he didn't have repentance. Repentance involves sorrow for the act of sin. Remorse is sorrow for its consequences. A repentant person is sorry he sinned. A remorseful person is sorry he got caught. We're going to pause here, but next week we pick up both repentance and faith. Pretty much involves the entire three components in these things. We'll, We'll expound it next time. The intellect, the emotion, and the will. We hear the gospel. We believe the gospel. We respond to the gospel. I hear the gospel and recognize what I'm doing is not right. I'm breaking the law of the heart of God. Conviction comes as the Spirit bears witness. And then if I respond to that, some people get this far and they turn the other way. They run back. They get at it. Get away from me. Maybe for a more convenient time. But for those that are coming back, it moves them. What must I do to be saved? What must I do to get things right? What do I got to do to get back on track? Those three components. We'll look at that next time. We thank the Lord for a pure and proper gospel. Can you say amen? Amen. Let's be God's vessels. Let God use us. Everyone needs to hear the message. Everyone needs to hear the message. 
Everyone is lost and needs a Savior. And it's God's will that everyone hears it. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He's got people in every nation. He's ordained to be saved, but they won't if they don't hear it. The Bible's real clear. How can they believe if they don't hear? How can you believe a gospel you've never heard? So it's up to us to declare it and tell them. And we can speak it as we talk to people, but also others that go to nations, we pray for them and we give and support them. Father, we thank you so much for these lessons from the life of the Apostle Paul. We thank you, Father, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you how it has changed our lives and made us brand new. We declare we are new creatures because of the blood of Jesus, because of the power of the new birth. And Lord, we recognize that it's your will that all men hear this good news. Help each one of us to do our part, whether it's in our homes, in our neighborhoods, on the jobs, whether it's in the foreign field. Help each one of us, Lord, to do our part to carry out your commission that all might hear and all might have a real opportunity to come to salvation and come to the Savior. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.